think it's, it's funny because we're not really like the big altar, altar call invitation kind of people so much when we're preaching here. But, but a lot of people are. They're like, we gotta, you got to end it with the gospel. And that's true. We do try to end a lot of our sermons, or at least touch on the truth of the gospel when we're preaching. Um, but, but like any other good preacher, Jesus is going to close out his whole Sermon on the Mount today. And he's going to, to end it like most preachers would with some sort of call to action, some sort of reminder, some sort of hard-hitting truth to really capture you and say, yeah, you've heard me say all these great things, and that's awesome that you've heard all of this truth. But if that doesn't leave you different, if that doesn't leave you changed, if that doesn't leave you knowing that you are one of my followers, one of my disciples, right? Because remember, when we first started the Sermon on the Mount, at the very beginning, it began with this, this idea that there were, there were kind of three different audiences there listening to Jesus. There were, there were the disciples, those who were in, those were following him, those were who were you know, in his close group, the people he was teaching. Here's how I want you to develop into stronger, more confident believers. Then you had the crowds that were kind of on the outside of that. And these are the people that, that had been kind of following along with Jesus, but they didn't really know, they weren't, they weren't really in, they didn't really know him intimately. They weren't really part of the family yet. And so for those people, he's, he's, he's giving all of this truth, saying this is how you, this is what it takes to be a part of my family. It takes to be in the kingdom of heaven. And then you had all of the religious elite, the Pharisees, the, the Sadducees, the scribes, all of these guys around who were more antagonistic toward what Jesus was saying. And he was trying to counter some of the, the wrong things that they had been teaching, some of the things that had become stumbling blocks, things that had confused lots of people who had been listening to their teaching. And so, and so Jesus, as he's wrapping everything up, and he's about to move on and start going to other areas and ministering other places and doing other things and teaching other truths. Before he moves on, while he's still got this crowd with him, he kind of has this ultimatum moment. This, 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 are you in or are you out? You've heard all of these things. Are you with me or are you against me? Where do you stand? Um, and the point that he's going to make through this whole, the whole end of this chapter is really that there is no middle ground here. There's no, I'm kind of in, kind of out, I'm somewhere in the middle, I'm just kind of still figuring things out. Uh, if I might borrow a movie reference, there is a red pill and there's a blue pill. And you can take the red pill or the blue pill. And you can either go back to being a part of the mindless crowds that are wandering and following all the people that have no idea that there's something else going on around you. Or you can be one of the people who have their eyes opened and their minds opened and they can understand and see all of these things that God has been doing. There's no in-between. Either you're in, you're out. Either you're saved or you're not. Either you're a disciple or you're just one of the crowds. And so as we're going through all of these um, ways that Jesus is going to differentiate what it looks like to be in or to be out, I want you to constantly be asking yourself, where do I stand? Which of these things is more representative of me? So we'll start in verse 13. I'm just going to read a couple of verses here. This is Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. He says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. So he uses this example 
of, of a wide gate, a narrow gate, and then a wide path and a narrow path. And, and one thing that I want to go ahead and establish up front is let's look at the order through which he said this. The gate comes before the path. Enter through the gate and then follow the path that's behind the gate. So if Jesus is saying, the way you get in with me is you, you, you enter into the kingdom of heaven, you come into this Christian life through me, right? That's what he's been establishing, that he is our only means of salvation. If, if we're gonna, we enter through Jesus and then we walk along the path that follows him after that. So it's not, it's not this, if you find this narrow path and you walk through this really difficult life and this harder path where you know fewer and fewer people, that you're eventually going to get the results and go through the gate and find Jesus. It's not that way. We find Jesus first. Well, I mean, honestly, more Jesus finds us. And he saves us and he welcomes us into his family. And then he kind of kicks us off along this path. And so I want us to get this in mind that it's not going to be about how we walk the path that determines whether or not we get saved, that determines whether or not we get to go into the family of God. We enter into this walk through Jesus and through Jesus alone, and as a result of that, we have two very different types of paths to walk. Um, so in a previous life, or more like a year ago, I was a web developer at ETSU. Like, I do video now, but, now, but, but I was doing web, um, and so... If anybody in here knows anything about web, I don't see a whole lot of hands. Okay, so, so when you're designing a website, and we used to have to do this all the time at ETSU, uh, when you're designing a website, you have to look at what type of internet connection and what type of computing power do most of the people who are visiting your site use, so as you can determine how fancy, how robust can we make our design for our new site. Because if you find out that 90% of the people are still using AOL. You cannot design the same site that you could if everybody was using like a T1 connection. Because, because they're not going to have enough bandwidth. And, and, I, and I say all this to get to the idea of bandwidth. Bandwidth, bitrate, uh, the amount of information that, that can travel a given distance at a particular time. The more information, the more things that need to get through, you have to have a higher bandwidth, a faster bit rate. More things have to be able to get through the same amount of space at the same time. So you basically need a wider road for more things to get through all at once. And that's kind of the idea that Jesus is getting at here. He's saying there's a narrow road and there's a wide road. Why do you need a wide road? Why, why every time I drive to Knoxville is one lane closed? Because they're making another lane. They're widening every single time you get on the interstate. Some lane somewhere. They're adding a lane or they've closed off this lane to repave, right? And when they do that, that affects how efficiently you can get where you're going. And usually it's because they're trying to add another lane because they've had so much traffic volume that we need more space for more people to be able to get through. So you need a wider road, you need a bigger road if there are going to be more and more travelers on it so that it's not as congested. So it's interesting that when Jesus is comparing those who are saved, those who are his disciples, those people who are on the path to the kingdom of heaven would get the small road. And those people who are not in would be on the much wider, more comfortable road. And I think he's trying to tell us a couple of things here. 
the first thing that he's trying to tell us is there are probably a whole lot, whole lot more unsaved people around us than there are saved people. There are probably many more people that think they are on the right road, but really they are not saved at all. And that's going to continue to be a theme throughout the rest of the chapter. So he's trying to open your eyes to say, if, if you're taking the easy way, if you're going the way of the crowds, if you are not meeting much pushback for the way that you're living your life, then odds are you are on the easy path. You're taking the easy way. You're not, you're not pushing, having to push through much difficulty. If it's more comfortable, if your life seems pretty, pretty easy as far as your spiritual growth and your, and your progressing through your life, it may be that you're on, it's because you're, you're walking the same direction as everybody else is. I thought about making an, a Highway to Hell reference, but I'm, I'm going to skip the Highway to Hell reference. But it's there. <laughs> I'm not going to sing it. That's basically what I'm saying. So we have to find ourselves asking, what do I experience in my life and why am I, maybe, perhaps, why am I not experiencing more pushback? I mean, when I think of that narrow road, I think of like walking along like a hiking trail that's kind of gotten overgrown and there are lots of trees and stuff and you're having like pushback branches and you've got leaves and bugs and stuff all over you, that sort of thing. Like, like that sounds a lot more difficult, right? That sounds like a, a path that fewer people are going to want to walk along. And that seems to be more the idea of what Jesus is encouraging his people to be looking for. Not out looking for trouble, but to just understand that if you are truly living the life that we've been called to, it's not going to be easy. There are going to be fewer people that are on that path. There are going to be fewer opportunities for you to comfortably move forward. So we need to realize that there are a lot more unsaved people than there are saved. And we need to realize that there are probably more unsaved people in the church than we think. And we need to examine ourselves to see if we're among the larger crowd or the smaller, less popular crowd. Second thing that he's going to talk about, we'll pick up in verse 15, is that we can still, even though we're in the church, it's still easy to be led astray. Verse 15 through 20. Be aware of false prophets. Who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes not gathered from thorn bushes? Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruit. This is like a scary thought, especially for me in the position that I'm in, where, where we as elders kind of have oversight of the church, and we're responsible for the things that are being taught. Uh, we're responsible for the people that we might put in a position of leadership over other people, even if it's a community group leader or, or whatever that may be. And 
it's a terrifying thought to think that somebody who seems very much like they're one of us could be in disguise, not saved, and actually here to kind of tear us apart, here to confuse us, here to break the trust that the church has with, with the elders, even more so with Jesus, to offer a different message or to offer a twisted version of the message that Jesus gives to us. Because isn't that, isn't, that, isn't that how we originally ended up in sin in the first place? Was that Satan came to us and said, you know, you heard, you heard God say this, but really it's, it's more like this. And he just put just, just a little spin on what God had told them. And they, were, and they were so easily, Adam and Eve were so easily led astray, and they were like, yeah, that makes perfect sense, I guess. I guess you know something. I guess you understand what you're talking about. So, so I'll go with that. And what we need to realize is, this isn't just talking about somebody who's in the church who thinks they're saved but, but are not. He describes them as wolves. He says, these are, these are people who know exactly where they stand but hide themselves but blend in, but know what it looks like to be a part of the church to the point that they're able to infiltrate and then divide us. And I think it's worth us saying, what do we view as our highest authority? What do we continue to find ourselves coming back to to reinforce our belief in the truths that Jesus offered? Do we find ourselves saying, well, I'm going to listen to this guy. He seems intelligent. Or do we find ourselves constantly saying, I'm going to check every single thing that I hear, even the things that we, the elders, are up here preaching. I'm going to go read it. I'm going to see what the Bible has to say about that. I'm going to verify it based on what the Bible says. Because, because if we don't go back and continue to say, what did God say about that specifically? that's when we're going to get led astray. That's when we're going to get confused. That's when we're going to get distracted from the truth that God really has for us. So we have to be in this book. We have to constantly be better understanding who God is and what he would have for us so that we don't become confused and led away. And then we have to look at the fruit of the people who are taking the advice or we're, we're taking truth and listening to, we have to look at their lives. I mean, it's a good call for us to look at our lives too. But, but here specifically he's saying, you got to look at the lives of the people that you're listening to. Because, because if they're in, if they're believers, if they're following me, if they are actually teaching real truth, then you're going to see good things coming out of their life. Good things are being things that are reflected in Scripture as good things. Not they're really good at, I don't know, some sport, or they're really good at brain teasers or something like that. But like they actually, they actually are able to represent the things found in Scripture as described as being good. Love, joy, peace, patience, all those. They model those things. You see the good things coming out of their lives. Those are the people that are in. Because what he says, and this, this is a big thought. He says, you cannot bear good fruit if you're a bad tree. If you, are, if you are a sick tree, if you, if, you are, if you are broken, if you are outside of the family of God, if you are unsaved, if you are just part of the crowds that are kind of wandering along following Jesus here but don't really know him, 
you cannot bear good fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. So where do we get our good from? If it's not about us being able to do good things, where do we get our good from? Well, we go back and we look at the path and we look at the gate. we got to get in through Christ first. It's Christ who gives us the ability and the power to do good things for him. Apart from Christ, we can do no good. Everything we do apart from Christ is bad. That might be an interesting conversation starter for community group this week. Everything you do apart from Christ is bad. Talk amongst yourselves. So the only way that we're going to be able to discern who we're supposed to go to and who we're supposed to not take the bad advice from is to discern by looking at their fruit. Um, 1 John 4, 1 through 3 says... Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard about, which you heard was coming, and now is in the world already. So what he's saying is, you got to test the Spirit. People who know Jesus are in. You don't know Jesus, it doesn't matter. You cannot manufacture fake Christianity. you got to have Jesus first. But already working among us is a Spirit that says, I am like, Je like it's, it's Jesus-ish, if you will. Like, it presents itself like Jesus. It's this idea that is similar yet different enough that it is not him. And it is tempting for us to follow it. So we have to discern who it is that we are going to take spiritual instruction from by looking at the fruit, by looking at their message. There are some pastors who love the Bible and teach it very eloquently, but would not come out so strongly as to say that Jesus is the only way that you can get to heaven. Jesus is the only way that you can be welcomed into the family of God. If a, if a pastor, if a teacher is not teaching this gospel, Jesus and Jesus alone, they are a false teacher. And you should not follow them. Because saying the right words isn't going to cut it. We'll go ahead and look at verse 21. Just because you know his name, just because you can say the right things or do the right things, isn't going to save you. Verse 21. Not, and and this, this right here, this is the most terrifying section to me. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. 
So these aren't just people that are out to get the church. These aren't people that are dividing the church. These are people who are actually doing seemingly good things in the name of Jesus. And he's saying, but I don't know you. How does that work? How can they be doing things that seem good and not be in with the body of Christ? How do we do that? Because, because obviously what's happening here is, God, is Jesus is revealing that, that God can use anyone to accomplish his will. Right? Anybody who's been in a position of authority throughout history, good, bad, and different, has been there because God has placed them there. And the good, bad, or indifferent things that they have done during the time that they were in that place have been done because God wanted those things to happen. Because he has a very specific and very precise plan that he is playing out from the time of creation till the time we're all gone. He has such a specific plan that nothing is going to change that. There are going to be no little hiccups along the way. No one person can come in and do something outside of what God had already predetermined for all of history. So even if there are people who don't believe in Jesus, even if there are people who have not surrendered their lives to him, the actions that they are taking while they are here are still a part of what God is doing in history. Even if they present themselves as believers in some way, even if they're using his name, he, does, they don't, he doesn't have their heart. He just has their words. He just has their actions. They're trying to, trying to get by by, look, I said your name, and, and these things happened. I, I, I drove out demons. I performed miracles. I prophesied. I did all of these mighty works, right? Think of that. We, I, think of that, how you have to say that sentence. Did I not do all of these mighty works? Who is the focus of that sentence? Us. We. He's, he's saying, you don't get in because of what you did. You get in because I have your heart. You get in because Jesus welcomes you into his family. So it doesn't matter how good or how amazing a thing you are able to do. If it's you doing it, apart from the power of Jesus, makes no difference. It's not good enough. Because we cannot manufacture good enough. And that... That's scary because that probably means that there are a lot of people in the church, a lot of people in our families, a lot of people walking around in the South who would say, I'm a Christian, right? Everybody and their brother is a Christian in the South. I'm a Christian, yeah, Christian, Christian. But that probably means there are so many fewer believers than we think. I thought about spoiling the whole movie, but I think I can do this without spoiling the whole movie. The movie's from 1999, so you've had plenty of time. So who has seen The Sixth Sense? Okay, thank you. I'm so glad that people have seen The Sixth because a bunch of people that I talked to are like, I've never seen it. That's probably one I should see. Yes, that's one you should see. So, 
No, I'm not going to spoil it. I'm not going to spoil the end. I'm just going to use the line that they used from every movie trailer for that movie you ever saw. So the premise of the movie is you have this, this guy who's a child psychologist working with this kid who has some sort of really weird problem. And he hasn't talked to him about it. He just knows the kid's kind of off. And he's talking to the kid. And the kid says, I'm ready to tell you my secret now. And he says, okay. And here's what he says. And I think this is a perfect example of what I'm trying to say right here. He says, I see dead people walking around like regular people. They don't see each other. They only see what they want to see. Here's the key. They don't know they're dead. I think that is a perfect metaphor for this idea of people who are, are using Jesus' name and going about doing all of these great things thinking that that is what is saving them. They think they're alive. They think they're doing all of this. They think they understand what their motivations are. But inside, they're dead. They've got no life in them. They don't even know that they're dead. Because they don't know what life really looks like. They just know, this is what I do. I, I move along. I walk along. There are these, these crowds of people all walking along this big wide path together. We're all kind of going. We just kind of wander in this direction. And they don't realize that they're dead. They don't realize that there's something else for them. They don't realize that it's Jesus having their whole heart that is what it takes. If it doesn't start with Jesus, and I think this is kind of where he goes next, if it doesn't start with Jesus, if we don't, if we don't lay the right foundation, we're among the dead, just walking along. Verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And then the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. So if it doesn't start with Jesus, right? Because what he's saying is, hear my words. Start with him. Not some intellectual understanding that we're able to convince ourselves and understand the logic and rationalize not that, not that we were able to obtain enough knowledge to figure this all out, but he says, if you, if you hear me, if you hear my call, if it starts with Jesus, if your foundation is Christ, then everything that you build on top of that is not going anywhere. If your life is built on Christ, then when you're walking down the windy, tiny little uncomfortable path and things get bad, and the, and the wind picks up, he's going to hold you up because you have him. But if you don't start with Christ, even though the path seems easy, at some point, everything's going to go to crap. <laughs> I had no other word. <laughs> everything's going to fall apart. 
You're going to think, oh, I've been doing all of these good things. And then you meet him face to face and he says, I never had your heart. I never had all of you. So you're not one of me. And he's going to, like, like those false prophets, like those false teachers, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. You're separated from him. You're done. Game over. So it all has to start with Christ. If everything about you does not begin with the fact that Jesus died to save you, to welcome you into his family, none of it matters. So that's the end of his sermon. And then we get just very briefly. So he's talked for what, three, three chapters now? And there's probably a whole lot, whole, whole lot more that he was saying in there. But these last two verses... And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Here's the thing that it doesn't say about them. And this is interesting because if you've read to the end of Matthew already, you know what these same crowds are going to do to him. It says they were astonished by his teaching. It doesn't say they were changed. It doesn't say that their hearts were made different. It says they were astonished. They were like, wow, that's really good. He, he, says, he says good words, really strong. I like it. But it doesn't say they were changed. And so my challenge to us is that we would examine our lives. We would look at where we are. We would look at the fruit of our lives, say, 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 what am I representing? What is my life revealing? We would ask ourselves if we're trying to just get by because of the good things that we do, or the fact that we have gone to this church, or we've gone to that church, or we've read a Bible, and we would get past all of the, the actions that we're taking and realize that we need Christ. It has to start with Jesus. And I, and I hope that as I've been, been reading these verses and saying these words, that you've been looking at yourself and saying, what is at my core? What is my foundation? What have I built my whole life on? There was a, a great sermon that I listened to years ago. It was, it was John Piper, but he uh, was saying, What's at the bottom of your faith? Like usually you say, what's your most important thing? And you work your way up a ladder. But he's saying, peel back all the layers. What's at, what, what, is your, what is at the base? What is your motivation for everything? So, so why are you here? Well, I'm here because my family's always gone here. But, but why, does that, why, why does your family motivate you? Well, because I love them. Why do you love your family? And you keep going down, asking these questions. And you eventually get to this final question of what motivates every single thing that you do? And if at the very bottom is not Jesus Christ, then you are one of the people who have been kind of slowly walking with the crowd along that wide path. You don't know him. He doesn't, he doesn't have you as a part of his family. And I don't want you to be like one of those false prophets who were, who were cut down and thrown away. 
we wouldn't be here, we wouldn't be saying these things if we weren't passionate about you knowing Jesus the way that we know Jesus and that we know how good and faithful he is. So when I pray here in just a second, I want, I want all of us, I don't care how long you've been a part of the church, I don't care what position of leadership you may find yourself in, I want every single one of us to, to examine at the very root, at the core of who we are, what we're building everything on. And if it's Christ, that's amazing, that's fantastic. And then we can stand and we can sing and we can rejoice. We can come and take communion and we can remember what it is that he did for us. But if that's not you, we want you to know that it's got to start with him. And we want your lives to start with Jesus. And if you don't really get that, come talk to one of us. I'll be over here doing communion. I would rather put communion down and leave everybody else to not get communion and talk to you. Or, or go grab dad. The sound can sound a little worse for a little while. Grab somebody. Let's talk about what it's like to put Jesus, to have Jesus at your foundation. Let's get there. Because, because if we, gotta, we, we can't really go forward, right? We can't, we can't move on until we start with Jesus. So let's all talk about Jesus.